Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. If you're just kind of sitting back and doing a whole bunch of marketing, even content marketing, I don't think would continue to sell old products. You have to be continually sort of refreshing your product line, adding new products, taking away the old products that don't sell. That's really important. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn what a dedicated tribe can do for your brand and business, how to cultivate your relationship with your tribe, and why you're doing things right if you have products that are failing. Today, I'm joined by Jay Dawkin from uistencils.com. There's the letter U, the letter I, S-T-E-N-C-I-L-S.com. UI Stencil sells tools and accessories for software planning and design and was started in 2007 and based out of Denver, Colorado. Welcome, Jay. Thanks for having me, Felix. Yeah, excited to have you on. So tell us a bit more about these uh, tools and accessories that you guys create and sell. Yeah, so basically when you're designing an app or you're designing a website, um, oftentimes the best way to get started is with a pencil and paper. And there's something very natural and very um, kind of fast about using a pencil and paper. And it also puts your mind in a certain um, space where you can think about ideas a little differently than if you were to start on a computer. Mm, makes sense. So did these tools uh, exist um, that you guys sell? Did, did they exist before you guys came along? No. So that's an interesting question. Um, we pretty much invented the market for this type of thing. And I think that's a really important point to um, uh, where our success comes from is we were kind of the first um, people to think of the idea and kind of expand upon it. And so that allowed us to really kind of gain momentum and and go from there yeah and just to kind of give the the audience a little bit more of a visual essentially what you guys sell i guess in the name ui stencils you sell a bunch of other things but i think what makes you guys uh what made you guys popular were, were these stencils like you can i'm looking at one now the iphone stencil kit there's a an object that looks just like an iphone and a bunch of different i guess icons that are uh, that, that are available for people to essentially use to as a stencil. So it makes it a lot easier to design, again, like you're saying, applications or websites. Um, but yeah, just kind of give people a visual of that. Now, now when you, so what, what's your background? Are you, are you guys like designers, software developers? How did you get into this? Yeah, so um, for, I guess, uh, up until a year ago, uh, I was a web designer app app designer, UX person. Um, I ran my own uh, web design company with a partner in, in Seattle called Design Commission. And we helped a lot of companies, a lot of startup companies. There's a big um, tech community in Seattle, a lot, of pe- a lot of money and a lot of venture capital to kind of um, create software, create apps, create companies around ideas. And so um, 
the you know this idea UI stencils was kind of an offshoot um, out of that where one year we were trying to think of a good Christmas gift to send our clients and so we put together uh, a website like design your own website kit and it included a, a drawing stencil and a pad and a pencil and we got you know a fair bit of response um, from that and people were into it and liked the idea um, and then um, the uh, I think a, maybe a year later um, the iPhone uh, essentially opened up their app store to developers and so we released an iPhone version uh, at the same time, the the Apple development con- uh, conference was happening, and uh, that just went viral. Like it, um, pretty much shot us into the stratosphere with like the amount of sales and the amount of people, the amount of interest, and um, you know we, you know, had to go down to the post office and you know, buy $10,000 worth of stamps kind of thing to get all the orders out. And we didn't know what we were doing. And, and so kind of the rest is, is history that Mm -hmm. kind of gave us this, the push that we needed as a business, I guess. Right. So you guys had this idea for a, a gift to give to your clients. When did it start becoming more of a business where you wanted to sell this to others, other people than just as a gift for your clients? Yeah, it, it really happened um, naturally out of demand. And I, I can say we I think we put it on. I, I'm pretty sure we had like the, the initial website stencil kit for sale online and we we were getting some sales um but it things didn't really start taking off until the iphone um the iphone uh stencil kit essentially happened Oh, I don't. Does that? Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Or? Yeah. No. So I want to learn more about this um, virality that happened because you launched this uh, this product. Yeah, I think I think the lesson there is timing. It was one of um, like when to release something, and you know, in in our case, we didn't. There was a little bit of luck, um, but if you if you can time it in the right way, you can sort of ride that um, ripple effect of what's happening. And so I think that there is um, something to be said about releasing something at the right time. Now, say, say a little more about this. How do you know, looking back on it, how did you, how did you if you could reverse engineer, I guess, your, your, the timing of your launch, how would you recognize when you should be launching something? How do you know how to time it correctly? Yeah, so in our case, this product specifically was catering to um, developers who were making apps for the App Store. And so we, we launched it at the same time the Apple de- Developer Conference was happening. And I think that it had a kind of a snowball effect because of that. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're creating, you know, if you're creating a line of swimsuits, you know, the fashion industry obviously has, 
knows when to release things um that you know that could be one example paying Mm -hmm. attention to you know when to put something out there now for, for in your case you also still have to kind of you know, obviously releasing something at the right time can help you ride the wave, but you also have to, I guess, kind of catch that wave too, right? You have to do some of the initial grunt work to get this going, to promote it yourself at first, right? Did you guys, what did you guys do to to kick off, I guess, this, this viral uh, product? Yeah, you know, it was completely out of our hands. Um, we did very little in in terms of marketing or getting the word out there basically the the reason it became viral is how everybody else responded to it so everybody was posting about it everybody was sharing it everybody you know there's this kind of almost frenetic atmosphere um in in the product and this you know, really unbelievable kind of response um, that people had. And so we didn't have to do anything. It just um, automatically, you know, became viral. (laughs) Right. Now, have you been able to repeat this kind of success? Maybe not to the same degree, but have you been able to either launch products or, or release videos or anything like that that have been able to catch on virally? Yeah, I think it's very difficult to repeat that. And, you know, there are are definitely products we release that people respond to more than others. You know, part of it in our case is how, how useful something is. And so if, if we release a product and people can really kind of understand the the value and kind of the the dream that it brings then um, it tends to do a lot better and I, I don't know if that makes sense but I yeah well can you, can you elaborate on that because I, I definitely get what you're saying about how if people can immediately see the value of a product that you're putting out there they're going to respond much more favorably and I think also lines up your product launch for more likelihood of going viral uh, can you do you, does that mean you have to do a better job communicating or messaging your product like what does it mean to make your product much more uh i guess uh, recognizable for its value yeah i think i think it has to do in our case it has to do with two things um one is the the design of the product itself and you know this is really important and it's almost the most important aspect of getting traction with a a product. Um, The other aspect of this all is how somebody perceives that it will add value to what it is that they're doing. And so if somebody thinks that this is really going to enable them to take the next step with their idea, or this is really going to kind of um, push them further in what it is that they're doing, um, then the, the product is a success. So it's the combination of those two things that really 
you know, sell products essentially. I, I like that 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 if the product enables your your target customer to take the next step, it it makes it a much more valuable product because it's almost like they are trying to cross this gap, trying to cross this chasm, and then you come along and say, "Here's the bridge to get there." It's such an immediate kind of click, I guess, in their head that, oh, I need this product. This product is valuable because it's such a, uh, I'm facing a problem that, that's right in my face that I need a solution for. So that makes a lot of sense. So does that mean that you need to spend a lot of time? Uh, I guess, how do you catch people at that, at that opportunity though? Like, is there a way to keep them, keep your product top of mind so that when they do run into this situation where they have a problem that you're product can can solve they know to go to you immediately yeah i think it's um you know lately it's the type of thing where somebody is interested in user experience or somebody is trying to learn about app development um or you know somebody wants to start a company or wants to build an app and they're not quite sure where to get started and then they, you know, they start to search. There's lots of blog posts that mention us. Um, there's other people in the industry and on social media who um, continue to kind of write about us and that sort of thing. Um, so that's kind of where it comes from. I see. So you're almost like a, a recommended product for, for a lot of people that are seeking out this, uh, I guess they're almost like beginners, right? They're beginners in the beginner stages of starting company, getting more into into UX, getting more into design, getting more into developing software or applications. And they're probably out, out on the internet looking up for ways to do it. And then your product is recommended. Is that what usually, is that how you discover? Yeah, um, they there are beginners for sure, but there are also professionals who continue to use our product and you know reorder our pads that they like and um and and kind of some of our other products so it can be used with both beginners and experts basically the value of our products is with early stages of an idea Mm -hmm. and so you have an idea you want to kind of iterate on it you want to prototype things and um you know think about how screens fit together how flows fit together um think about you know how it might how you might kind of structure something um in a really quick manner that's kind of where our tools come in and both beginners and professionals find value in that Mm -hmm. now do you actively try to get blogs or sites to mention or recommend your product how do you stay i guess at the forefront of the recommend list of recommendations that blogs put out yeah i mean we should be doing more of that uh for sure it's the type of thing where we don't we don't do um we don't reach out as much as we should we have satisfied customers um talking about us we have people in the industry who, you know, are writing s- certain topical articles about, you know, the best the best practices in UX, and and they write about us. And when they do write about you, do you do you reach out to them? Like, do you try to start up some kind of relationship? Or you know, I'm just trying to get a better idea. How do you? 
I think, you know, you got a great point there. And it's important that you you write somebody back and you're like, hey, thanks for uh, mentioning us, you know, in your blog posts, um, you know, start. That's important. It's something that is hard to do. It's kind of like, you know, flossing your teeth or whatever in my case where you gotta you gotta get in the habit of doing i've never for some reason or another i've never been the type of person that um sends out thank you cards for stuff and that's that's important my old Mm -hmm. business partner was great at that and you know he he sends out thank you cards and it it makes a huge difference it makes a big impression so i think yeah, for sure, that's important to do. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. Um, I guess this this service called a mention mention dot net. I've used it before, and it's a great way for it's essentially almost like a Google alert, but maybe even better because it might might keep track of things like social media as well, and keeps track of anyone that mentions your your brand, your website, and it's a great way to kind of not have to actively search out your your name or your mentions yourself. They kind of let you know when something comes up. So it's a kind of a cool service for that. Um, okay, so, yeah. So this was an idea born out of just a gift that you wanted to give to clients. It became much more in demand. People were asking, "Where can they buy this? Or how can they get more?" And what was the next step? Like, how did you? Uh, I'm assuming you were still working. It was like a some kind of agency that you you worked at or you owned. Exactly. Now, when did it become? When did I guess uh, UI stencils become more of a real independent thing of its own? So yeah, I would say 2008. It you know, we sort of built a brand around it and launched an e-commerce store and then got serious about launching new products. Okay, so 2008, this was only like a year after that initial success of um, kind of grassroots success, I guess, even more like organic than anything. You wanted to get more serious about it. Did you then start approaching, I guess, how did you get these things made? Were you approaching manufacturers to produce this at scale? Yeah, I mean, part, you know, part of the idea is, um, was we knew about this manufacturing process. And, and so, you know, as, as a design, I'm sort of a armchair, uh, industrial designer, I guess. (laughs) Um, and, and so I, I knew about this process, um, industrial process and that's yeah that's when we kind of reached out to a manufacturer kind of thing gotcha so what did you get made first was it just this iphone uh kit that you had created or did you guys already have additional products lined up by the time you wanted to launch the e-commerce store yeah we started with a website version um that looks a lot different than what's up there now and but it was it was made out of stainless steel, the same material. Then we slowly got into pads, like sketch pads, mm-hmm. and then we started offering uh, other accessories uh, that people might use when they're in this, these early stages of thinking about ideas. And then you know things like t-shirt, branded t-shirts, and books and other stencils. And then um, we kind of released some clear versions of the stencils, and yeah. 
Now, when you had this uh, e-commerce store, did you did you have like an, a uh, a strategy to market or to get more traffic to the store, or were you still kind of just living off of that that virality of the the initial products? Yeah, we were living off the virality of it. Um, it's the type of thing where you know you get some a certain traction with you know the vira, vi- virality. It's a hard word, yeah. Uh, yeah, that is a tricky one. Um, and then you you feed off it in different ways. So um, you know you you reach out to people. You start developing more relationships based on that. Um, so yeah, it's it, it definitely had a lot to do with the initial kind of kick that mm-hmm. we got in the business. Yeah, and when you mentioned that you started reaching out to people, I'm assuming these are people in writing about you. I'm just trying to get a better understanding of like how do you keep this this um, this I guess buzz going after that initial kick off, like you said. Like, what were you guys doing? Yeah, that's. Uh, I think one of the one of the reasons for that is there's a dedicated group of people who were really um, interested in what we were doing. And so if you can cultivate that somehow, that's going to be your best kind of method for growth, I guess. Mm. And, you know, I don't know. I heard a talk one time, but um, this speaker was talking about sort of developing your tribe or Mm -hmm. cultivating your tribe of people. And that's really, you know, what you want to pay close attention to. In our case, it's a very niche kind of tribe. And so it was easy to identify who is going to find a lot of value out of what we're doing. Yeah, I like that, that you you find this core group of people, core group of I guess essentially like champions of your brand, of your company. And by making them happy, they go out and spread the word for you essentially. Now, how were you able to identify this core group of people and how were you able to reach them? Yeah, so they identified us and they wrote about us and they shared it with other people who were also interested in us. And did you know that this tribe or these kinds of people existed prior to them starting to write about you? Not to this extent. Um, we did not fully understand like their, you know, the extent of um, how there's there was this mad kind of rush to develop apps, and you know, this is at the the early days of like mobile app development, even I think even before, you know, the Android app store. Um, so Apple is just kind of opening up their app store and that's kind of, you know, what set things off. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do to to cultivate this relationship? You've identified where they've identified you. They started writing about you. How do you, I guess, keep them happy and keep them interested in in writing more and more about you? Because I'm assuming there's only so much right to write about one particular company. How do you keep them uh, writing about you or keeping keep it, keep yourself, your company, top of their minds? Yeah, it's hard. I think one of the things that 
is really important for us is to continue to develop new products that meet the needs of this audience. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, if you're just kind of sitting back and doing a whole bunch of marketing, even content marketing, I don't think would continue to sell old products. You have to be continually sort of refreshing your product line, mm. adding new products, taking away the old products that don't sell. That's really important. Yeah, it's almost like you have this engine now that, that exists, but you have to keep on feeding it with fuel, and the best way to do it is just more products, not to create more content yourself. You have to give them more things to get excited about because they don't get excited about the same old things over and over again. So I think that brings us to an important topic, which is product development for you guys. You mentioned earlier that there are just some products that you release that just don't respond as well as others, and some respond way better than others. Um, how do you? How does that affect your process when you go into de deciding what kind of products to develop next? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I think you know you you don't really know what what people are going to respond to. I mean, you can take educated guesses, but you don't have like a hundred percent certainty that something is going to be a success. Um, I've always liked this idea of like having a shotgun approach to mm -hmm. releasing products where, you know, you try your darndest to, um, make something useful, you know, put something together that you think people will respond to and then releasing a whole bunch of different ideas and seeing kind of what, you know, what's going to sell well over time, what, you know, what's going to shrivel up and die. And then you, you know, you take the way the ones away that don't do so well. And then you, you know, continue to refine and maybe release new versions of the ones that do uh, well. Yeah, I like that, that, or I like that kind of thought about how you you don't know, so just get out there and try it. Now, the shotgun approach, though, to releasing products, it can get expensive, right? It can get expensive in in your actual monetary investment, get expensive in the time energy put into it. How far along do you go? when you do release a product, do you actually produce everything and get it out into a, a, a form that can be shipped to customers before you have an idea if it's going to be a hot or a hot or not, I guess, a product? Yeah. I mean, we, so we do, we create the product before we start selling it. And so we have a stock of product, you know, in hand before we, uh, before we sell it. So yeah, is was that your was that I'm sorry. Yeah, the, well, I guess I was trying to understand like uh, if there are if you don't know until you try to sell a product whether it's going to be successful or not. It seems like it could be very expensive to go through that entire design. Oh yeah, yeah. All of that. Like, do you actually go through everything before you have any, any idea if it's going to be successful or not? Yeah. So I think a couple of things there. One, there's always this balance between cost and quality and, and design. And so really, you, as an entrepreneur, you need to be good at both. Because if you, if you make the product too fast or too cheap, you know, 
that's not good. But at the same time, if you spend too much in design or too much time thinking about it, then that's not good either. So, you know, striking that balance is key for sure. What kind of, uh, I guess, questions do you ask yourself when you are trying to figure out if you might be spending too much time on one versus the other on cost versus design? It's a gut feel. I, you know, I'm a designer by trade. And so I, I naturally like kind of noodling ideas mm-hmm. um, and taking my time and thinking about the details there. And, and so I'm kind of leaning towards, I naturally lean towards that side of things. I think I'm also very, like a very frugal person, I would say. And so it's important that, you know, when it comes time to manufacture something or, you know, ship something, I'm doing it in the most efficient manner. Now, do you have to make these decisions, like these hard decisions then on on saving the cost, saving the time at the, I guess, uh, expense of the the design or the, I wouldn't say necessarily quality, but at the expense of, of I guess, the design? You know, our, our situation is, it's so like, um, I guess one, one aspect of what we do is the products are pretty simple. Um, it's not like we're creating a piece of electronics hardware where, you know, we have to coordinate a whole kind of supply chain of different chip manufacturer and, you know, PCB board guy and assembly plant. So, you know, we're not, we're not doing that. And that, that might be a little different ball game. Yeah, I guess I was trying to trying to because you're you know you're mentioning this balance uh, between cost versus design. I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through this too, where they have this this you know ideal vision of their product in their head, and then once it hits, I guess the very hard wall of reality when they go to the manufacturer and realize how much time, how much money it's going to cost to get them to realize that dream. Like I'm sure you go through this process too, right? When you have to compare your dream versus the reality, how do you make those decisions? Well, you got to move forward. Um, you got to, you got to push forward. And as long as you have a vision in place, um, you know, any, you, anything's possible. Um, so it's, it's not getting hung up on stuff, thinking of different solutions. You know, if one material is not working, then um, try something else, you know, or if one, if one guy is, is going to take, you know, six months to do something, then you got to find a different supplier. So you got to, you know, keep moving right. forward. So stay flexible. If you can't stay flexible, then you can't move forward. That makes sense. Now, this this tribe that that you have that are, you know, I'm assuming very vocal uh, when they when they give you feedback as well. Do you listen to everything that they say? Like, if they want a specific I guess product from you, do you immediately go out and make it? Like how do you take feedback from your most vocal and dedicated uh, customers? Yeah, we love feedback. Uh, We get emails all the time, you know, regarding different things, different ideas. Um, You know, some are, are really great. Um, Some you kind of get 
you know, you have to take with a grain of salt. Um, but all feedback is good. You know, anytime somebody takes the time to um, send you feedback, you should definitely pay close attention to that for sure. How do you determine if, um, I guess, feedback is, I guess, feedback that you would take versus feedback that you, you, you take with a grain of salt? You know, I have a certain opinion about how things should be done and, you know, how the design process goes. Like when, when people are using our tools and, and, and so a lot of it is based on simply my experience and, you know, we, there's nobody else here really, um, to, <laughs> to, kind of collaborate with it or determine whether that feedback makes sense or not. You know, when, when this whole business was with, uh, the design, a design studio, uh, up until a year and a half ago or so, um, it was great having a team of people there to run ideas off of and get feedback on and help shape the feedback and help, um, you know, maybe maybe one aspect of the feedback is good, and you kind of take that part of it, but you leave the rest. Um, it helps to have a team of people around for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to your tribe, like I like I was saying earlier, they're usually you know very vocal and passionate, and with that kind of passion, you can also you know kind of trigger them. I guess the the opposite direction. Have you guys ever done anything that's uh, not necessarily upset? your tribe, but that, that, that maybe they didn't like as much as, as you would have thought? Yeah. I mean, we've released products in the past where there, you know, it's just crickets kind of thing. Like nobody, you know, we think it's a good idea, but nobody else, uh, responds to it. So, uh, for sure there's, that happens all the time. And I would say that's a mark of, um, you're doing things right because if that's not happening and then you're not releasing enough products. Mm, Makes sense. Now, when you do come across a product that you released and let's say it doesn't do as well as your other products, but you know, it's still selling, it's still profitable. You're not losing money on, on holding the inventory or selling the inventory. Do you keep it in your catalog or do you cut it out if it's not like a, a roaring success? Yeah, so what I generally do is I keep it um I keep it up there. So we we get rid of product that doesn't sell. So we either like we sometimes we sponsor conferences um or you know programs um that you know need some product or w- would would uh you know find some product useful. And so we'll send out stuff that isn't selling too well to them. Um, but then usually what happens with those type of products is I leave it um, up on the site, but it's not linked in any way. So people, you know, links still get kind of spread throughout the web. And, and a lot of people find our site kind of through old products or through outdated products kind of thing so those links Mm. stay up gotcha so it wouldn't be easy to navigate it 
to it from your homepage, but if someone had the link to it, they could still get to it. And the reason why you have that is because that link might exist somewhere on some other site and you want people to find your actual site through that product page, even though it's not a, a successful or as a, as a successful product. That, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you shouldn't, I guess, burn those bridges even if the product isn't as successful because you could get that kind of uh, residual traffic to it. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something to me, uh, I think, in our pre-interview questions, which is about how you like the idea of having a design-driven business and how you like to think about ways to infuse design when creating a successful business. Can you speak more about this? Yeah. So, you know, my background is in product design, development, um, app design, digital product design. So we're talking about, like, web apps and um, mobile apps and the marketing sites that come along with that and branding. And so I'm, I'm a big proponent of um, really letting the product speak for itself and letting the product be your number one kind of marketing method or tool. And so I'm a big believer in um, spending a lot of time, um, you know, up front to essentially set things on the right path. Um, and it has a lot to do with, uh, product design and, and development. And, and so being, by being a design driven business, um, you're investing in, you know, product design, whatever it is that you're doing, if it's digital, if it's physical, you know, if you're selling clothes, if you're selling, you know, potted plants, like, make sure that what you're doing is um, really uh, design oriented. And I guess you're, you're, you're investing enough time in um, in the design of your product. Mm, so that means like you're saying that don't take the shortcuts when you're, especially if it's a, if you're, I guess you're, what you're competing on is design. Don't take shortcuts on the design early on just to get to market faster. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. And I, I would go so far as to say, you know, be if you're not the designer yourself, like be intimately involved in the design process and get to know um, how the design process works, um, how how best to, you know, leverage that process. You know, it's it has huge ramifications for your your business, your brand, um, you know, and, and ultimately your success. Mm -hmm. And for people that aren't designers, like you're talking about, but do work with designers, let's say they have a fashion uh, brand or maybe they have a t-shirt brand and they don't have a design bone in their body, but want to be in this industry and they're working with a designer, what do you find as a, as a designer yourself, what do you find is the best way for a non-designer person to work with a designer? Yeah, I, I think it's important for those type of people to really align themselves with a designer or a creative person or somebody that is 
you know, visually oriented. Um, and so, you know, this person should be on their payroll or be their best friend or um, be very close to the business, be a partner in the business, that type of thing. I see. So the if you're not a designer, but you work with a designer, not only should you be involved more into the design side, you need to bring the designer more into your side, into maybe the business side of your, your brand. Totally. Mm, makes totally. Sense. Yeah, just infuse, infuse them together. The closer that you can get and the more synergy that you can create between the business and the design side, the the more successful you'll be. That's a great point because a lot, a lot of times um, when you when people are talking about working with designers, they think of them as just a an employee, someone that they have you know I guess tasks for and then ship it out, throw it over the wall, and wait for them to finish it up and throw it back over the wall. That doesn't work nearly as well as you're saying, which is to bring them into the business and don't and make it more of a two way conversation rather than just a a one way from the non designer over to the designer. I think that's a, that's a great point. Um, now I want to talk a little bit, go back a little bit, and talk about the manufacturing of this product. Now this is a, a product that is you know not like uh, uh, crazy complicated, but it does seem like there is not that much room for I guess tolerance. There's not that much room for um, errors, or there's not I guess what is it? A, a it doesn't allow a lot of tolerance on, on this product because there's like small icons. These stencils are need to be exact to to make it actually work with uh, uh, during the design phase. What is what has been the manufacturing experience been like for you to find a manufacturer and work with them to create a product like this? Yeah, it's been all right. Um, we we actually had a manufacturer for a long time in Seattle, and um, and their their place burnt down actually. I know. Um, and so we had to find another manufacturer for them. And um, the uh, you know working with. Uh, we're fortunate that our stencils are made by a very reliable like um, partner, I guess, and manufacturer, and they have a very rigid process in place. So, and there's reliability there. Um, not everything you do is that way, um, and not everybody takes um, quality as seriously. Like. Um, some of our product products are made in China, and it's very difficult to um, ensure, you know, a certain level of quality um, to communicate that you want things done in a certain way. Um, and you know, there's a lot of like nuance involved, and so um, sometimes it's a challenge for sure. Definitely makes sense. Now, you mentioned that at one point this was mostly a, or this was, uh, I guess, in the, in the lifetime of this business, it was mostly in a part of a design agency, but now about a year and a half later, it's an independent unit. So way less, I guess, people that are now working on this. I'm assuming you, you what's the team like? Is it, is it multiple people still? Like, What's the makeup of the team? <laughs> yeah, so it's just me and my wife, Dorothy, and she handles all the fulfillment in customer service. And so she ships the product. Um, she orders more product when we run out. 
Um, and then I'm more on the design, product design, marketing, um, photography, you know, side of things. So yeah, that's the, that's the kind of the breakup of the work. Gotcha. Now, what about uh, any tools or apps or services that you, you, that you rely on to run your business? What do we use? Order cut for fulfillment, um, in Shopify and that's an app on, uh, on Shopify. We use, what else is important? Um, you know, that's, that's about it. We use Slack, Dot and I use Slack for just, you know, messaging each other. Um, you know, Photoshop is key uh, for doing stuff, taking photos, putting up photos, MailChimp. For sending out mail, email, uh, newsletters. What else do we use? Yeah, that's pretty kind of standard mm-hmm. fare. For your sh- yeah. for your shipping, you said you which which app did you say you used? It's uh, it's called Order Cup. Order Cup, okay. Yeah, I think a lot of people use ShipStation. Is that ShipStation? But- yeah, that's definitely a popular one. Cool. So, um, yeah. So, uistencils.com again is a website. Uh, where do you want to see the the business be this this time next year? What kind of goals do you have for for the business? Yeah, I like to keep growing it. I think there, you know, I have a a list that's a mile long that contains product ideas and things I want to do. So it's you know it's just a matter of crossing those off the list and and getting those done. Um, I hope to, I hope to broaden the, uh, sort of the appeal of what we're doing. Like, I think a lot of people just see us as doing these stencils, but we are offering a lot more things on our site, uh, a lot more products. And so if we can steer the store in the direction of being a general kind of resource and supply for, um, you know, app designers and developers and startup companies and, um, you know, that, that type of thing, that, that would be great. It's a, it's a tricky thing to kind of, um, try to expand, uh, you know, beyond what you're kind of known for sort of like being typecast, as an actor. Mm-hmm. For sure. Awesome. So thanks so much for your time, Jay. UIStencils.com, again, is a website. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners go and check out if they want to follow along with what you guys are releasing, what you guys are up to? Yeah, so uh, follow us on Twitter.com uh, slash UIStencils, and also Instagram is, you can follow us on Instagram. And we have a, a newsletter sign up um, uh, on our site and you can stay up to date with, you know, new products and promotions. And there's a, da- there's a download in a, in our blog, or if you go down the footer, there's a download section and you can download some free, uh, ske- uh s- sort of template files that you can print out and use, uh, for sketching your ideas on our site. So that's a good way to kind of get started and, uh, and then maybe order some of our products. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, awesome. Thank you again for your time, Jay.
Yeah, thank you, Felix. I appreciate it. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. In terms of how we communicate through influencers, really what we would do is um, I, I would email them early on and say, hey, we have this product. We love your hair. We'd love to give you some. We'd love to have you try it. Um, here's kind of how to use it and here's what it is. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.